And welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode of Going for Two, presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel. I am your host, Matt Brown. I am the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, which multiple people on the internet are saying right now is above average. Uh, I'm joined here by Brian Fisher, my colleague, my co-host, my buddy here in the extended D1 Ticker Cinematic Universe. How you doing, man? I am also above average. That's that, that many people are saying that too. This is uh, Happy St. Patrick's Day. We're, we're recording this here on, on Thursday. I I, I, sh- I should know this. Something I've ever asked. Are are, are you Irish? Do you do you have no. you claim it? You claim any of that? Uh, you know what? Maybe maybe on my mom's side somewhere down the line, but uh, most mostly just German on on uh, on my dad's side. So that's that's kind of who I, the heritage that I kind of latch on to. Sure, and 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 fortunately in this country, if you claim a lot of German heritage, you at least get a holiday of your own. Uh, an entire month, basically. <laughs> right, yeah, later on. I, I like to joke, I this is like the holiday that is the least for me, because not only am I... <laughs> I, I bet, yeah. <laughs> mostly like South American. Um, I don't totally know what my dad, the actual Browns are, the... My dad's the Garrett, the Brown side of my family would be OG Mormon. Like they've been, you know, they were the ones that like did the handcart from Ohio to Illinois to to Utah. My grandfather was actually born in Chihuahua, Mexico, and like one of those like polygamous colony kind of things. So I don't actually know where they came from, like before they did any of that. But everyone else is from Brazil, and then beyond that, like Portugal, which is very un-Ireland. I mean, don't drink. So this, I mean, like I, I, this morning, I don't know what this was like in your house, but this is the morning we realized we don't really have a whole lot of green things. So like my daughter's crying and I'm like, all right, this is turquoise. This is like kind of green. Go in there and listen. I, I don't. I'm just gonna let you know now. This holiday is it's not for this neighborhood, <laughs> and it's 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 not really for you. You have other ones later on. Just just kind of go with it. I don't. Was, was that was that your fight too? Well, especially on the part that we were talking about not having a lot of green. Like I was kind of go, going through my closet. I was like, well, I'm like my my, my home field of apparel Stony Brook shirt is like as close as I'm going to get uh, to having much green. I, it's just, just not a color that I wear often. Yeah. And so uh, it, it was definitely uh, you know, tr- struggling to find options for to, to wear for today. But you know what? It, it's fun because. Uh, you know, coming off of the, that first four and, you know, kind of the, the calendar flipped right there. And then it seems like the luck of the Irish flip. I, I'm just hopeful that uh, we, we can kind of keep this this momentum going because it is one of the more fun days of the year with the, the tournament going on. It collides with St. Patrick's Day. So there's obviously a lot of folks that are out there that are enjoying, uh, you know, the, their times uh, in, in Chicago with the, the dyed green uh, river and all that. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm sure it's uh, uh, for everybody, you know, out there listening that uh, to this on, on Friday when it drops. Um, you know, at least you can 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 recover a little bit uh, from from your potential hango- hangovers or uh, your potential hangovers from from the NCAA tournament because uh, that is here and it is certainly uh, getting getting mad this March. That's you're right. I mean, like you can recover from hangovers a lot of different ways, right? Take it from me, an, an experienced non-drinker, right? You either just continue drinking or you eat uh, something terrible, which is one of my favorite things to do when when the NCAA tournament starts. Uh, I, I will I will probably be making some. Uh, Unfortunate culinary decisions. I think later today, watching basketball until about ten thirty at night. You're right. This it, it was. Um, it's definitely been a fun start. Uh, you couldn't have really scripted it any better. With with Notre Dame pulling out a, a double overtime victory, heading into St. Patrick's Day, we have some fun games happening on Thursday, and then of course, you know, we, we have women's basketball coming up here too. We have, um, uh, you know, heading heading into the round of thirty two. And and this is not a show. I think we're going to get too into the weeds on that. Uh, I would, you know, check out our our, our friends at uh, at CBS who do really good college basketball podcasts. Uh, Mark Titus does really good college basketball podcasts. There's, there's lots of those. Um, there is another, I don't want to say bracket, but um, 
Yeah, there's not really a good segue for this, right? Like, the other thing we were talking about that's more, I think, in our wheelhouse that I know a lot of our readers and people in our world have been talking about is beyond just what's happening with the tournaments, we also have Athletic Director Awards, another, another prize that maybe you're not necessarily pulling for, but uh, would be a big deal if you won. And, and now we have uh, some finalists from a couple of different organizations for who actually is the AD of the year, right? Yeah, I think there's kind of two competing big awards out there for AD of the Year. Obviously, there's the Sports Business Journal Awards that, uh, you know, those take place and they, they, they name one. Uh, the NACTA Awards, which are is kind of like the industry conference that everybody yeah. goes to, uh, they name four per basically division all the way up from uh, NAIA to the junior college ranks uh, all the way up to uh, FBS. And so they released their list. And uh, it's funny, you you mentioned a bracket. I I almost now want to put, put a bracket of ADs and see how the voting would go. Uh, You know, who who would, who would be the most popular AD in the country uh, is is now popped into my mind. Just, uh, just talking about it, but yeah, there's, there's uh, some finalists uh, across the division here at at NACTA. And I think that's what uh, it gets the industry itself kind of excited is to, to see who's, who's done well this, this past calendar year. And, and really who is kind of their their leaders in this space it's it's always interesting for me when i see what sbj or nacta uh, puts in as finalists or people that, that are in contention for these kind of awards because when you look at at you ask the, i think the common press like the reporters or general fans a lot of them have opinions of course about who's a good coach or not and there there's a relatively easy straight line right wins and losses are very easily quantified Recruiting uh, success is very easily quantified both at National Signing Day, throughout the process, and then at the NFL draft or with wins and losses. So it's true that there may be some chalkboard geniuses that uh, fans may not necessarily understand or coaches that are very good at a couple other things. But the proof's kind of in the pudding and, and, and everyone can kind of have, I think, a reasonably accurate assumption of who's a good coach and who isn't. When you ask a typical fan, Who's a good athletic director? And, and honestly, I think a lot of reporters, too. It's one, who returns my phone calls? And then two, who makes good hires for football and men's basketball? And certainly, those two things are very important. And, and, and friends, for those of you listening, returning my phone calls, extremely important part of what makes a good athletic director. Or, or, I agree. Or, yeah, or, or Brian's phone calls or, or texts being accessible to us in particular. Very important. But... There's so much of this job that has that has nothing to do with hiring coaches. And you can be an athletic director for five, six years and never hire one. Or have um, less influence or less power during that decision than you might necessarily think. Because it's not like, you know, when one of us hires somebody or when our boss hires somebody for D1 Ticker and there's like two people you have to go talk to. When a, co- when a school's hiring a coach, that, that might be the AD's only thing. It might be that you have to get that clear with the money people or the regents or the governor. Or maybe maybe you don't really have a whole lot of influence in that altogether. All the other stuff about what makes a good AD doesn't make the newspaper. Um, it sometimes makes extra points. It's, it makes what we publish uh, more often than not. But even then, there's still, I, I think, a significant gap. So I think it's interesting to look at these to see, hey, is there anybody who that, that would surprise us? Or are there things that peers pick up that are really important in this gig that are independent from who made the splashiest hire? You know what I mean? Like I, 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 I you know, I, clearly like one of the names that you're going to see a lot, Mike Bone at USC, he did get the big hire, but he did a bunch of other stuff too that had nothing to do with Lincoln Riley. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that's you know not not just the the hire on the on the football side that he's been able to do, but really turning that department around. I mean, you got to understand that at USC in particular, he he's one of the rare outsiders that have occupied this job. You know, you go back, you got Lin Swan, you got Pat Hayden, you got Mike Garrett, you have all these internal former football players, and and really, um, you know, that was to the detriment of the entire department, right? And and he's been able to kind of rectify that, uh, you know, bring a much more professional, much more up to date uh, organization there at USC, and um, yeah. you know that, that's been a big part of you know kind of setting this the, the Trojans up for the future and, and I think why um, you know the industry peers are recognizing him uh, in terms of what he's been able to do there in Los Angeles because uh, it, it's about hiring some of those associate athletic directors you know getting compliance fixed you know making sure that you know everything kind of is all those ducks are are in the order and, and helping really reestablish kind of that culture there uh, within the department that's that's something that you know fans probably do not talk about or, or think about but a lot of these ADs I mean that that's that's their biggest job you know making sure that the people internally that work at the school, making sure that everybody is moving in the right direction, moving together in the right direction. And then, uh, you know, a lot of it's also tied to with, with fundraising. You know, they, they got to make sure their donor base is moving in the right direction and they can go out and, and hire guys like Lincoln Riley or, you know, the basketball coaches or, or the football coaches or, yeah. you know, various uh, other sports. I mean, it is funny because, you know, I was chatting with a few folks about this list, you know, and, and what they thought about it. And, you know, that it's come up, you know, from time to time in terms of like, yeah, the, the, the football hires do get the, the biggest press, but guys, you know, a lot of the ADs that, you know, are, are making hires, the, the ones that they really have their fingerprints on are the track coaches, are the soccer coaches. You know, the, those are the ones they really have to conduct a search, right? Yeah. Sometimes they are turning it over to, you know, to some of their assistants or associates to help them. But like th those are the type of hires that do not get the press, but it really are kind of reflective of how your overall tenure can do, even though they're really judged, especially by the fan base, especially by some some key boosters and whatnot on how well their football and basketball hires are doing. Yeah. And, and some of those things are increasingly uh, requiring search firms or more search firms are getting involved in women's soccer and wrestling yeah. and, and, and that space. But that your ability to make those Olympic sports higher, I would I would definitely agree, is, is, is part of this fundraising unquestionably. I look at some of the other names that have popped up on a couple of these lists, right? Like... Um, I think you could look at Hunter Juracek at Arkansas as a place where, hey, clearly you you nailed a couple of big hires. And maybe you deserve a little more credit because I don't think you necessarily brought in the absolute sexiest name you possibly could in either of those places. You found good cultural fits that responded well to uh, your recruiting base and your fan base and what you're trying to build there for football, men's basketball. And that's a, that's obviously a department that's you know, has a lot of success in other sports. That makes sense. But I mean, I've also seen like, you know, Sean Frazier at Northern Illinois, I think you know, is, is often on these kind of things there. And it isn't just because NIU football got better. Sean is a industry, very respected industry expert on DEI stuff for, for anything and about fundraising at a place where I, I could say this as an Illinois guy. Um, you're not getting a lot of help from the state right now if you're at a regional school in, in Illinois. The, your, the population shifts and the property taxes and what you're getting from Springfield are going in the opposite direction. So your job is much, much harder. And so you have to do a bunch of stuff that have nothing to do with, with football. Tom Holmo's uh, BYU has been on a couple of these lists, right? I don't, think, I don't think BYU made a big hire at all in the last couple of cycles, but... They built schedules on the fly. They finally got their, their themselves in the Big Twelve, which has been the that school's um, you know, the, a major institutional goal for for decades. They're I mean, shoot, they were like the the number one ranked um, Learfield Cup program for for yeah. a while, right? Like, which is crazy to do when you don't have P five money, and that has uh, you know those are all things that that you kind of got to go under the hood to look at a little bit. Um, 
I would. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it is it is definitely interesting because you know you you look at the SBG award like that that's an award like there's there's the finalist and then they actually name a single person you know yeah the, the NACT awards more uh, you know kind of industry recognition you know of of multiple people and that's why there's you know four per kind of division yeah. but you know the SBJ awards you know they have Cindy Barber you have Lisa Campos at uh, UTSA who uh, was is been a big part of she's uh, on the uh, basketball oversight committee she's you know been heavily involved in those type of matters uh, you have sean frazier tom homo like you mentioned i know you're check the only one that's uh, kind of on both lists which is uh, a bit interesting and, and eyebrow raising because like you said he definitely nailed uh, you know his football and basketball hires i mean that uh, is so much you know surrounding it but uh, they, they've done a lot of good work at that department as well you think about like the, what they've been able, been able to do um with some of the social media aspects and like uh the videos that they've been producing like that that takes an entire department department to kind of get off the ground and, and get going because marketing uh, your department is it's no longer just a you know one or two person operation you know it really is a true department and and uh, you know making those hires making sure that you have uh, you know the the cameras rolling when, when, when they need to be rolling uh, on, on some certain aspects uh, you know that, that that's a huge aspect of, of kind of the modern athletic department right now but uh, I think it is interesting that he's the only one on, on both lists you know, along with John Curie and, and, and Boo Corrigan at NC State and, and Wake Forest I mean those are obviously ones that you know less so that Talking about the hires and kind of more about how they've been able to shepherd. I know Boo Corgan, big and in, in, you know heavily involved really with the ACC and what they've been doing the last couple of years. Um, you know, getting through COVID and and, and all that uh, is is happening with you know media rights and all that. Uh, he, he's been involved in those matters. And John Curie, I mean, talk about not getting out of the park. The one, the one. Uh, early basketball hired in the middle of the pandemic was was made by Wake Forest, and you know you look at uh, bringing a guy like Steve For- Forbes in, um, you know like that that that's, that's turned out to be a home run, right? Even though they didn't end up making the tournament this year, um, you know he, they they've definitely gotten things back on track. So. I think it's fascinating to kind of look at how these ADs are kind of what what they've done certainly, and then kind of how they are recognized by the by their peers. The other thing I, I want to point out <clears throat> is that something that we even as reporters who who in, in our in, in our neck of the woods we dig into this stuff more. We don't have total visibility into process, and I, part of me gets a little bit concerned about. Um, vilifying or putting an AD on a pedestal based on how well they, they did on a, on a particular hiring search when we have one or two years of data. So like theoretically, and, and, and you know, if Hunter, if you're listening to this, I'm, I'm speaking in hypotheticals here, right? Let's say tomorrow, Sam Pittman uh, does a, a terrible NCAA crime, right? Or, or you know, he's, he's, it turns out we, we checked a bunch of text messages here and he's been running Venmos for... You know, I don't know, all, 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 all kinds of, of uh, nefarious bagmen. Arkansas has to fire him. Or let's say Arkansas, you know, Pittman doesn't do anything wrong uh, morally or legally, but the team sucks. SEC West is really tough, and you go three and nine two years in a row, and, and, and suddenly you have to make some changes. That's not within Eurocheck's control or any VPs uh, or, or senior administrators necessarily at, at Arkansas. Whether Sam Pittman's a good hire or a bad hire is is a, a fluid question. The, the, so for me, like the more interesting thing is how good was the process that led you to this point? Did you deliberately uh, overlook some negative points and kind of luck into a good result by going through a bad process? And this happens in college sports. Or did you go through a good process and you were unlucky? Which also happens. Football's a zero-sum game. Somebody's going to win. Someone's going to lose. And you can do everything right and do everything sustainably and have bad injury luck or weird transfer luck and, and, and uh, you know, go 4-8 and eight, like Notre Dame did that one time. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that people forget about that. So, like, 
I don't have visibility into that process. And I, I, I think what you'd want as a fan or as a university president is an AD that has built a structure where they are replaceable and you increase your chances of having a good outcome. But you can't guarantee a good outcome. You can only control what got you to that point. I, I think if we look back at a couple of the ADs maybe a decade ago that had an industry consensus of being an excellent athletic director or nailed a hire or two, maybe some of them even won some of these awards. And we look back at what we think about them now. Sometimes there's a difference. So I'm not saying that like nobody deserves these awards or that they're bad or anything. I, 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 I'm not saying that. Just that... Uh, it's, just, it's a hard gig to evaluate because even if you're very plugged in, there's a lot of information we don't have. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You, just taking that Arkansas you know, example, I mean, look at Hunter was kind of thrown into the fire there, you know, when he had, had to actually make the hire. Not a whole lot of interest in that job, you know, coming uh, off off some, well, basically a long winless streak. They were winless in the SEC. You know, they'd only won a couple games, uh, you know, per year. They, they got were, upset by North they, Texas. They were terrible. That was arguably... The worst SEC football team ever. That was like Sewanee bad when they were rolling out eight kids and uh, and and a couple of custodians. If you look at like the FRS uh, rankings in College Football Reference, like you're right, huge hole. And and like there's just not a ton of coaches that were interested in jumping into that thing. But you know, Hunter did listen to a lot of the, the people surrounding the program. Uh, you know, that wanted to bring Sam Pittman back. He he was obviously one of the few candidates that really kind of stumped for the job. You know, talk with a lot of boosters, a lot of you know people around the program, and and uh, you know the, the, he found the right fit. You know, and I think that is important to kind of go through the process, listen to the people around you, listen to your search committee, listen to uh, you know people that uh, do have input on those searches, and uh, then it ended up working out for for now. And and we'll. We'll see uh, certainly long term how they can continue to build that program. But you're right. It's all about, you know, kind of the process and, and identifying thing. And you know, Mike Bone, another great example, right? Nobody had heard about Lincoln Riley and USC. That job opened as, as early as anybody, you know, in, the, in this past cycle, right? Uh, he, he made the, the the decision, you know, early on after that Stanford loss to fire Clay Helton and, and move forward with the program. Had a long window to, to kind of ramp up their search, which you didn't really hear anything about. You know, there was a lot of speculation about James Franklin, you know, some of the names that the media would just kind of throw out about the job, but nobody had connected Lincoln Riley to that gig. And then, boom, that, that hire gets made, and uh, they basically wrap everything up in, in one weekend's time. So uh, that, that to me, also speaks to kind of how the process, um, you know, can go. And so uh, for, for a lot of these guys, that, 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 is, that is key. That is key in terms of uh, making sure you have those repeatable uh, things that you can go through that uh, you know, yeah, maybe the, the end result ends up being bad, but when you can go back and look through the process and, and it is, um, you know, what, what you want it to be, at least you can lean back on that. And I think that's why you know, so many of these ADs for these big time hires are at least leaning on those search firms uh, more and more, uh, you know, given that they can not only have that plausible deniability baked, like, you know, kind of baked in with uh, some of their hires, but also understand that uh, th that can help them in terms of that, making sure that process and all those eyes, eyes are dotted and, and those T's are crossed. Speaking of processes and search firms, I know that several institutions are going to be leaning on both of those now in, in the in the short term because we have multiple athletic director openings at the moment. Obviously, uh, th this may not be the, the 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 sexiest search market at the moment, given that the men's basketball and, and, and increasingly women's basketball uh, cycles are, are going to be continuing now. And there isn't really like an AD search season because this kind of happens rolling throughout the year. Uh, the, the biggest news on this front, you might have missed this earlier this week, is Penn State Athletic Director Sandy Barber uh, announced that she is retiring. And so now Penn State has a, a, 
think a challenging decision to make here because the, the institution's getting a new president and you're coming in at a time where the, whoever takes this gig is one, coming, coming into a school where I think you are going to be expected to show NCAA and Big Ten leadership. We're coming into a time when there's a bunch of existential questions in college athletics. And if you're one of the 20 biggest brands in college sports, you want somebody who can shape the NIL, the athlete rights, the financial, the transformation committee conversation in a way that benefits Penn State. This is not a place where you can kind of, uh, I think, sit on the sidelines a little bit, right? You've also got a stadium that's a gajillion years old and needs a, like, most places don't really need stadium enhancements. Beaver Stadium does. So... Do you raise money for that? Do you build a new one? Do you, which I, I know that's like heresy, but that is I know that's a thing that that is at least whispered about. Do you make some big changes here? You want somebody who is a leader, somebody who can raise money, somebody whose judgment you trust at a job where that can be a little bit of a fishbowl. That's there's not a ton of people that that off the off the bat fit that description, huh? No, there's there's not, and it is going to be one of the more interesting searches. I mean, Sandy Barber it was up for the SBJ, you know, eighty of the year, so it's going to be interesting because she's she's been heavily involved, not just in, in Penn State matters, but uh, she's on football oversight yep. committee, she's on D one council, she's like been been really part a big part of the uh, transformation that uh, the NCAA is kind of going through these these past couple of years. Obviously, throw COVID in there and, and all the regulations and stuff. She's she's had her hands on that as well, um, you know, leading the Big Ten efforts as well. So I think that's why she kind of made the list, uh, you know, initially. But um, yeah, this is. A, a big opening. I think an, an attractive opening that you know a lot of ADC uh, kind of uh, the ability to go out there fundraise. Obviously, you know make a, a big priority of redoing that uh, stadium, which obviously does need to be do, be done. I know they've uh, had some plans on the books, you know, to, to renovate it and, and and spruce it up a little bit. But um, you know the, the the new person coming in is certainly going to have their own thoughts. I, I would su- would not be surprised if somebody like Sean Frazier, uh, who we've already mentioned, ends up getting connected to this gig because um, you know look this is this is going to be a very high profile opening and, and big 10 AD gigs just don't come open uh, all that often. Um, you know, I think that that's the other thing to keep in mind. You're, you're going to have a lot of money to play with uh, from those media rights. Um, you obviously have a football play coach in place. You have a men, men's basketball you know, coach in place as well. Um, so you probably don't have to make those big splashy hires right away. You can kind of focus on what the department needs. And uh, I think there's, there's going to be a lot of big names attached to, to this gig because um, you know, it, it is one that you can, can occupy for, for 10, 15 years. And uh, that's, stability uh, does not come along often. I, I think for in for Sandy's case in particular, I mean, I think, um, you know, however, however you want to kind of frame her tenure, and, and I'm sure Penn State fans have a much different opinion from those on the outside. But, um, you know, from from me looking in it, like she, she has stabilized the place. You got to got to remember when she kind of took over and how, how she was definitely thrown into the deep end early in her tenure. Things have, have calmed down now, uh, and, and really the entire department is much more, uh, you know, ready to kind of accept and, and take that next leap uh, under, under their new AD. It's, um, I'm trying to think, not only do Big Ten AD gigs not come open that often, but often when they do, uh, there's a built-in successor in place. Like we think about- Well, like, I mean, how, how many ADs in the, in the Big Ten are just alums of their own place? You got Michigan State, you got Wisconsin that, that have come open recently. They all go the alumni route. So that, that's another thing to keep in mind, just with the Big Ten. Like it seems like more more than any other Power Five conference, they've leaned on those internal promotions or those alumni that are already connected with the program. Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know what the timeline's looking like there. That's definitely going to be one to watch. And there's a couple other mid-major openings at the moment. Um, 
Lindenwood is now open. Uh, we weren't really expecting that. A couple of days after uh, we, 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 we had their athletic director on this podcast, uh, Portland State just made a hire. I know Evansville and Southern Illinois, I think, are open. There's a couple other mid-major ones. And this happens, on a, I think, on a rolling basis because it's, even at the, at the kind of mid- and low-major level, too, <clears throat> it's a hard time to be an athletic director. And you could potentially, if you are somebody who is um, – advanced enough in your career to be a low major AD, you might be able to make that same amount of money doing something else and not have to worry about NIL or not have to worry about transformation committee or transfer portal or some of these other things. We've seen some people do that. That will be uh, something to think about, I think, uh, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, Morgan, Morgan State is, is opening their AD jump to Virginia, yeah. uh, you know, for, for an associate AD gig. So like that, that, that uh, non, non-lateral movement, I guess you could say, um, you know, it has definitely been an increasing trend. And honestly, there's there's a lot of folks that are just kind of getting out of the industry. They, they've been burnt out by the last couple of years. Maybe they'll get back into it uh, at some point, but you're seeing a lot of a lot of departures for the private sector as well. And I think that's, uh, that's an industry trend uh, worth watching. You know, what won't burn you out? And it was much easier to figure to to wrap your your head around here than existential changes in the college athletics industry. If you want something to to just wrap around you and support you rather than bring you down, Home Field Apparel, our title sponsor here for this show, our friends in Indianapolis, who of course are extremely busy right now with all things college basketball because they are in the world headquarters of college basketball. Um, they make comfortable. Unique, interesting collegiate apparel. Uh, I, I'm wearing the closest thing I have to green, uh, this Miami Hurricane shirt. I used to have an Ohio Bobcats one. Um, I think uh, I, I think there's been a couple of laundry mishaps. I'll have to end up buying another one. But you can't really wear this as like your St. Patrick's Day shirt because it's also super orange, which uh, I know enough about both European and Christian history to know that uh, those two colors don't really mix on this particular date. Uh, but they have a bunch of other green things if, that, if you want to be ready for next year, including, of course, an extensive Notre Dame Fighting Irish collection. If you want to go see a leprechaun dunking a basketball, my dudes and dudettes at home field have you covered. Um, there was just a doorbell a second ago. That might have been the UCLA stuff that I ordered. I think it's coming in today. And if, you know, if we record it later, I'd be putting it on. But they've got an awesome UCLA collection. They have some awesome mid-major collections. I and mean, then let me just say this, right? We spend a lot of the show... Talking some pretty inside baseball stuff, which is great. We're an inside baseball publication, part of an extended family of inside baseball publications. So fans, normally I'm talking to you. Go get a beer real quick. I want to talk to the athletic directors. I want to talk to the the CFOs, the VPs, the people that work in marketing. If you have not signed up with homefieldapparel right now, what are you waiting for? If you're wondering, hey, what is a really easy way that my athletic department can pick up a, just a layup, which is a basketball term because this is March Madness right now. Give me some easy um, uh, currency with my fan base and we can dig into some stuff from the 1940s that we're not using anyway. They want you. If you don't know home, the Connor's uh, email address, shoot me a DM or an email. Y'all have my email. I will, I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, Montana is on here, and they sell excellent stuff. The Colorado School of Mines, a school that people on, in this corner of college football internet would have never heard of if it wasn't for home field, introducing the internet to a, a donkey, that's teal, with a dynamite stick in his mouth. You probably have something that weird somewhere in your archives. So you should make the call. And, and make sure the rest of the world can pick that up, right? Like, you know, I mean, you, you had the Slippery Rock shirt, right? That's the one with the, the rock and the fur coat, right? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's one of the best logos I think we, that Homefield has in, in their catalog. But I mean, you, you look at Wright State, right? That, they're part of Homefield. They just won the first four game, you know, and right down the road at Dayton's uh, rival Dayton's uh, arena. So, like, uh, you know, school's big and large. You know, you can take advantage. And I, I'm sure uh, Connor and the, and the folks there in Indy are definitely staying busy because a lot of fans right now, they, they want their gear. They, they want it right now. And this is a great way to not only connect with your fan base, but I think um, you know, also make sure that uh, your your brand is, is out there in, in the ether, right? You know, so because, uh, you know, the thing about the home field shirts is not only do you want to wear them at home, like all the time, you also want to wear it outside and, and uh, showcase your your school pride or just the coolest logo imaginable. People in my neighborhood think I'm much more interesting than I actually am because of my extensive collection of home field apparel. So, number one, OK, fans, you can come back in. I hope you I hope you enjoyed your beverage. Everybody, if you want to save 15 percent off your order, support our sponsor and then support this show. Use promo code extra points at checkout to save 15% off your first order. And if you are within the sound of my voice and you are co-workers with your university's marketing agent or, or, or sponsorship agent and want to talk to Homefield, mention that you heard about this from me. Um, and so Homefield, so Connor will also continue to send us Homefield stuff um, and, and pay to support this program so we can, we can continue to do it. I promise you, you will not be sorry. I'm, I, I am not going to push a vendor on you or recommend a vendor to you. That sucks because I also want you to pick up my phone call when I talk to you about something completely different. And if the only thing that you remember is I remember Matt Brown. He pushed that stupid t-shirt company on me and it sucked. That hurts my serious professional journalism. So I'm, I'm, I'm staking my credibility on this. These shirts slap, right? They do. Absolutely. And, and they and they got the mystery boxes now. So you, you don't know what you're going to get like that. That's not only a great idea, but like I, I, I'm excited to to get a couple of those, too. Those, those are so good. I if I hadn't just literally spent 100 bucks on UCLA stuff, I would have bought a mystery box, even though like I don't think I, I think I have more T-shirts than I can actually wear, especially because here in Chicago, it's been gorgeous and sunny. And in the mid 60s, these past couple of days, like I know that can't last. This isn't actually spring yet. I've still got another three weeks, I think, of, of, of hoodie hibernation before I can actually go back to t-shirt weather. So, in conclusion, let Homefield sell your t-shirts, buy some t-shirts or crewnecks or hoodies or sweats uh, using promo code extra points. Um, and also, just a, a quick aside, we go hard in the paint for Homefield for a couple of reasons. One, they are our sponsor and we are contractually obligated to do so. Two, they are our friends. I, 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 I have bought their stuff, supported their company, know the people that run it personally well before this uh, podcast ever existed. I trust them. We would also like to shill for your stuff. So if you would like us to be as enthusiastic about your product or your service, one, make sure it doesn't suck. Because so help me, if I have to go read a card for something that's terrible, I will never forgive you. But if it's good... Drop us a note, sales at extrapointsmb.com. Let's talk about a way that we can help support you uh, through going for two, go through over extra points, the entire D1 ticker family. I will say uh, you may be surprised how affordable uh, reaching this audience might be. Um, there's one other thing unrelated to athletic director searches that I, I, I think, speaking of money, that I did want to very quickly talk about here before we wrap up and let people go watch the rest of the college basketball which is about the collective world because there's been a bunch of movement on this in the last week and there's going to be even more so over the next couple of months. Um, 
most Power 5 programs now seem to have some kind of collective. I saw that Oregon set up a deal with, with uh, I want to say, Open Doors recently to have a school-specific you know, marketplace uh, for, for them. Influencer, I know, has done this for several other schools. Uh, I've done some interviews. I will probably write about that after the tournament. Where do you see this going next? Because I feel like I've got like four different stories kind of in the works uh, about this world, and it's probably the number one thing I get asked about for my readers, both normies and people that work in this world. I mean, a lot of talk this earlier this week, especially coming out of the uh, you know Friday's uh, story in the Athletic about the eight million dollar uh, you know something that something that we've we've already discussed on this this show, but like and, and uh, part of to interrupt on Collegiate Sports Connect. Well, we, we did that. Uh, we interviewed uh, Stuart Mandel on, on Collegiate Sports Connect uh, about his story about uh, a recruit in the class of 2023 getting about $8 million over the life of a, a deal. And that was certainly an eyebrow raising one in terms of not just the, the overall figure, but I think some of the clauses in there, you know, I think I've, I've caught some of the administrators already uneasy about what's been happening around collectives, but seeing things like where they're signing away their rights for several, you know, several years to these collectives, like that is a bigger red flag for a lot of administrators than I think, you know, the, the general public is making a big deal about because yeah, there, there's $8 million. And I think that's interesting. Like it, to, to me, the, the evolution of these collectives and, and where we're going from here, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see and it kind of mirrors what European soccer is going through right now. Obviously, the sale of Chelsea is, is big in the news. Like, are, are these these sports collectives going to look at uh, the opportunity to bring in athletes to, to help their reputation? You know, much like a, a lot of these oligarchs have. Uh, are, are there going to be one mega booster, you know, surrounding that? Like, I don't care if I lose money on the, these these endeavors or, or whatever we're paying. I'll pay, I'll pay $20 million because uh, because I got it laying around to, to have a good football team. Like, there, there's going to be people like that. Yeah. And then there's going to be others, which I think are going to be the vast majority of the case, are going to say, how can we make sure that this this experience not only fits with our university in terms of education, in terms of branding opportunities, all that all that stuff. And, and how can we also make sure that it's sustainable? You know, I think that that, that part is not being talked about enough. And I think we'll, we'll get to that point, maybe not now, maybe 18 months from now, maybe maybe it's two years. But I think there is going to be at some point for a lot of programs out there outside of the, the, the very rare exceptions, kind of a, a stasis, you know, between where everybody can kind of figure out what that happy medium is. Uh, between not only helping the athletes, but making sure there's not they're they're not committing twenty five million dollars per recruiting class. Yeah, the sustainability is the big question. First of all, real quick, hey, if you're one of those people that has twenty million dollars lying around and you're just willing to throw it at athletes because you don't care about return on investment, sales at extrapointsmb.com sounds like you and I have lots in common that we should talk about. The sustainability factor with the, with the collect with with collectives for fundraising is what I have heard. So many people in the industry raise as a red flag, and it's something I know that ADs are concerned about, and it's something that I would be concerned about here too, because not everybody who is the front person for any of these collectives is independently wealthy or representing a large large sports marketing entity. It's one thing with the, the fervor of this is new and our rivals have it, and so by God, we have to have it, and I know that coaches are driving that conversation in many of these cases. It's one thing then to go raise $10,000, or $100,000, or maybe more than that, as, as the seed money to begin this kind of fund. What happens when you go five and seven two years in a row? What happens when your coach leaves, your athletic director leaves? Or, uh, if we're being honest here, if one of the businesses that's tied with one of these things runs into trouble, if your lead um, booster, your, your lead guy that, that's that's the, the financier of this entity, um, 
gets uh, into white collar crime trouble or has their businesses decline or other things. And like, you, I know you're smiling, but this happens with the pros too. Yeah. Um, what happens to your entity? We know that the University of Texas is going to be there for the next 50 years. Do I know the Pancake Factory is? Hell no. Like, do, do, I, do I know that the, the people fronting half of these groups right now are going to be there in 18 months? Um, whether there's a leadership change or a financial change or a, a financial police change or rule change, no. We're seeing a ton of new businesses pop up, a ton of new um, money flowing in in a world where nobody, if they're being honest, can tell you exactly what the rules are going to look like in two years. Um, that gives me a lot of pause. And so I, I know for me, I get what other people have to say it this way. I'm very uncomfortable saying, I know this is going to be the future. I don't know if Wake Forest has or needs a collective in two years. There, there's somebody associated with Wake Forest is going to need some way to connect Wake Forest athletes with brands to help them. I don't know what legal or financial mechanism that necessarily has to be. There was like, again, I'm going to write about this a lot. Next week is going to be mid-major week, right? We're going to be doing that a lot on this show and on Connect and on Extra Points, but I have not forgotten about this. I promise you I'm still making phone calls and digging into it because I think it's a real big story. Yeah, I mean, I, and I'm curious more than anything, like how are dollars in the future going to be allocated? I think that's something that's top of mind for a lot of folks, not only in the industry, but but outside it as well in terms of, yeah, if, if, if you're Coca-Cola or in, instead of having a sponsorship with four or five different SEC schools, for example, are you just going to go straight to the athletes to have them endorse your product? Uh, there's there's you know some marketing dollars that dry up. You know, for schools, if you're, you know, uh, you know, out there and, and you're a do, you know, donation, uh, you know, trying to solicit donations for a new building on campus, uh, yet the donor base might be a little tapped out in terms of they're they're diverting their dollars to uh, to getting it to these collectives or to their players directly. Um, you know, is, is that going to have ramifications down the road? And we've already we already know that there's fights between uh, these, these multi-million dollar gifts between athletics and the university. Now that now you're kind of introducing a third party in there uh, with these collectives. You know, are, are there going to be fights between the university, the athletic department, and some collectives. I can imagine that's going to you know, be top of mind. I, I would imagine, too, we're, we're going to get some some fraud cases. We're, we're going to get some some tax evasion cases. Dude, cases. That is definitely on the radar. I, I, I have written this several times, and I'm not ready to, like, call out anybody in particular, although I don't think you have to be Encyclopedia Brown to know some of the people I'm thinking of here, but I, honest to God, do not think Legally, financially, paperwork-wise, whatever, all of these at big schools are on the up and up. And not every person who is leading these entities or is on their board is somebody I would trust if I was a major corporation. Let's leave it at that. Um, yeah, and it's interesting, too, because you go back to like the the initial kind of where we were launched out of, of NIL with the NCAA and how they wanted to kind of regulate things a little bit. They wanted a third party administrator where you could have a database of deals and you could kind of establish more of a market rate and, and there would be a little bit more oversight. They backed away from that because of the Alston ruling. But now that sounds pretty good, you know, for a lot of folks out there. And, and yeah. maybe the NCAA will will go back to that sort of system. I mean, they, they, they solicited bids. They went through the RFP process, all that right up into the point where the, the Supreme Court case came down and they're like, ah, we, we actually can't do this anymore. We're, we're going to go laissez-faire and we're going to take 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 our reins off of it. But now, you know what? Th that's looking pretty attractive to a lot of folks out there. If they could have a database where they go, you know what? This quarterback is getting paid 20% over market rate. 
you know, maybe maybe there's maybe there's something there that we need to look into. And you know, truthfully, the NCA's hands are, are kind of tied on that subject. Yeah. But uh, I know getting back to those type of ideas, um, you know, a lot of folks would would love a return to those those type of days. The last thing I want to flag about this, and I did write about it earlier this week on Extra Points. It was paywalled. Um, I'll, I'll I'll tease a little bit of it here, but but if you know if you if you if you're 39 minutes into this show, I think you would you would like extra points. It's worth your subscription. Um, the the other the other concern is about who, who then controls that roster management. Going back to our our uh, story here from the Athletic earlier this week at say the University of Shemenesee or or what you know hypothetically some other school like that. If you have an athlete who's on an $8 million deal and who has exclusively signed over their NIL rights to this collective that only works with one institution and you don't start and, and you don't win the job or you're not a good fit or an offensive coordinator leaves. And let's be clear for five-star quarterbacks, as for as much as stars matter, which is a whole freaking amount, a large amount, the washout rate for five-star quarterbacks is still really high for four-star quarterbacks. It's really high. You can only play one of them. And for every, um, uh, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, there's a Jaron Williams. I'm sure it's a fine young man, but it's now playing FCS football, I think, right? And, and there's guys to get hurt and people to move on. So what you would want as a coach is if I bring in this five-star guy and I, he gets, I get on campus and I realize he's not the guy or he's not the guy for us, I, as a coach, would want that person to pursue other opportunities. I want that person to play and I want the scholarship and I don't want him stinking up my locker room. But if this guy signed a grant of rights agreement with this other uh, collective, he can't leave without giving up hundreds of thousands, if not maybe millions of dollars. And now he's stuck and he's not playing and he's going to bitch. He's, or, or he might, right, if he's, not, uh, if, if, if he's a normal 19 or 20-year-old. Now you have a big problem because the coach doesn't get to control the roster anymore. The athlete doesn't even get to control their, their own destination anymore. And now you have a third party who's not accountable to anybody. Um, and maybe trying to look at this as a profit-making venture rather than anything better for the university athletically. That's a big issue. It's a big issue already that at many schools, especially in the South, but not exclusively in the South, you have places where the athletic director is paid to be in charge of the athletic department and is responsible for being in charge of the athletic department, but is functionally not completely in charge of the athletic department because of other people that do not have the skill set to be an, an AD, do not have the, the, the or do not have the same kind of public scrutiny, uh, the same kind of checks and balances, but because of their money and influence or political ties, is part of that process. And you and I, I think, could think of a bunch of schools where we know that's the case, and most of them don't win anything, uh, particularly in football, because it's hard to to consolidate all those. With this collective world, it sure seems to me like that could get a hell of a lot worse, and. It's hard for me to see who really benefits from that um, other than a, a, a marketing agency. And that I could see becoming a big problem in the future. Well, and, and you, you know, look at right now, it's always tied to the school for a lot of these collectives. What happens when that when that's not the case? What happens when there's just an Atlanta collective, you know, right, that could possibly steer kids to to certain schools, you know, based on, on deals that they would want to, val you know, maximize vote ma market value. Like, how, how is that going to, you know, entangle recruiting? How do you look at uh, also, you know, like, look, look at, uh, you know, kind of the pros, you know, the, for a long time, the NCAA was very much against, you know, these, these agents and these marketing agents. What, what happens when CAA starts getting involved in these collectives? What happens when some of the bigger agencies that, that not only want to have their marketing rights for, for these these college athletes, but but certainly want even the bigger dollars when they re reach that pro level, when they are really going to start to jump in with with, with two feet. Um, I, I think we're going to see a, a whole lot of change. And really, I think that is the the biggest takeaway surrounding collective surrounding NIL 
is a lot of things are moving really fast. And it's almost like the, the old tech Silicon Valley slogan, right? Um, you know, move fast and break things. Well, that is happening right now with regards to name, image, likeness and these collectives. Well, you know, it's it's a good thing if you break anything that uh, we, we know with Silicon Valley that when things break, generally speaking, it's not the rich people that got to come clean it up. So that's something to think about. On that note, y'all, my home field's here. I just I just got the text message from FedEx. Hey, so literally same here. I got my uh, a little notification. Yeah. On my home so field. listen, I love so. talking to all of you here. I need to inspect my new beautiful uh, late 1970s, early 1980s UCLA T-shirt uh, to wear tomorrow, friends. Thank you so much here for, for listening and supporting this show. Uh, if you're still with us here, of course, got to support all of Extra Points, right? Eight bucks a month, get you five newsletters a week. That is overwhelmingly our number one source of revenue. That is the money we use to travel. That is the money we use to pay for freelancers, pay for our tech stack, pay for our support, pay for the t-shirts that I just bought upstairs. That's not really a business expense, but stick with me here. Um, and we can't do any of those things and make good journalism, make interesting stories, make good phone calls without that support. So if you're not part of the of the Extra Points crew, would, would, would cordially invite you to do so. Brian has been busting his ass making a bunch of really interesting, important videos on Collegiate Sports Connect beyond supporting what we're doing here. I would encourage you to sign up for a free account and follow all of those. Next week, the next several uh, Extra Points newsletters and across our whole extended universe, we're talking about mid-majors. We want to get in the weeds of what happens when you spring a big upset. What happens when you become a March Cinderella? We're looking at case studies. We're looking at the history of what a Cinderella is. We're looking at what this does to your marketing department, what this does for student admissions, for fundraising, for expectations, conference realignment, best case scenarios, more realistic scenarios. Uh, we, we there's I mean, I, I know that this is going to be a, a stock story across the, the whole world, but hey, listen, this, this is our beat. We cover this all the time. I think we're going to have some interesting things to share over the coming days. Everyone. Enjoy the madness. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Catch you out next week. Bye.